If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Welcome to episode 19 of Ohio 88, where I, your host, Heather Wright, will discuss one of the most notorious individuals from Wyandotte County, Ohio. For this episode, we will be discussing Richard Clark Jr., a man who walked into a local sportsman association and killed two others. According to the Ohio History Central website, Wyandotte County, Ohio was established on February 3, 1845, after the Ohio government authorized its creation. Residents named the county in honor of the Wyandotte Indians. Previously, the county had been part of land reserved to Ohio's Indian people under the Treaty of Greenville. Wyandotte County is in northern Ohio. It is predominantly rural, with only 4% of the county's 406 square miles consisting of urban areas. The county seat is Upper Sandusky. Wyandotte County experienced a 2.9% population growth rate between 1990 and 2000, bringing the total number of residents up to 22,908. In 2020, with the 21,900 people, Wyandotte County is the 82nd most populated county in the state of Ohio out of 88 counties. But Harrison County, with 14,483 people, and Paulding County, with 18,806 people, are creeping up on that total. Farming is the largest employer in Wyandotte County, with 80% of the county's acreage under cultivation. Manufacturing businesses rank a close second. To give you a better idea of its geographic location, Marion County is to the southeast, Crawford County is to the east, Seneca County is to the northeast, Hardin County is to the southwest, and Hancock County is to the northwest. To learn more about Wyandotte County, head on over to our Patreon page. Remember, you can listen to the entire episode on the Ohio 88 Patreon page for just a dollar a month. In this exclusive episode, I will discuss all things Wyandotte County with Stacy. You will hear about the most beautiful places, the most interesting and famous people, fun things to do, cool places to visit, and my personal favorite, all things spooky and haunted from Wyandotte County. In addition to the full county episode, you will find bonus content and exclusive episodes that are released to Patreon supporters only. Not to mention, you will receive goodies and merch in the mail. So if that's something that interests you, then head on over to www.patreon.com ohio88 and sign up today.
Now, let's get into the case. To begin, Cary, Ohio is somewhat of a gem here in Ohio, a quaint little village of about 3,500 people with some interesting history. Cary is a recurring setting for Halloween horror nights, houses, and scare zones. The town's ancient French counterpart, Cary, France, spelled C-A-R-A-E instead of C-A-R-E-Y, was introduced in Halloween Horror Nights' 20 Years of Fear. The name of the town itself was introduced in Halloween Horror Nights' Reflections of Fear, which was an area of town that was known as Willamette Valley, serving as part of the caretaker's backstory during Halloween Horror Nights' Islands of Fear. So long story short, Cary, Ohio is the hometown of one of the creators of Halloween Horror Nights, so it is used as a nod to their origins. As mentioned a moment ago, this is a small village, a place where everybody knows your name. The village itself was named after John Cary, a U.S. congressman who lived and died in Cary. The village is so small that all of the children attend one of three schools, the elementary school, the high school, or the Catholic school. When it comes to things to do in Cary, there aren't a lot of options. You could visit a cafe or a local bar or restaurant. You could visit the Basilia and National Shrine of Our Lady of Consolation. If you're a veteran, then you could join the VFW. Otherwise, you may only have one other option for fun. The Cary Conservation Sportsman in Cary Park, located at 2877 Township Highway 106, Cary, Ohio 43316. The Cary Conservation and Sportsman Association is a member-owned organization that was organized in 1939 and incorporated in 1959. There were about 1,300 members in 2013. They are dedicated to the promotion of conservation and sportsmanship, according to their Facebook page. They have a fully stocked bar in their clubhouse, which also includes darts, a pool table, a reception hall, music, and gambling. They have many activities available, including karaoke, bingo, fishing tournaments, holiday events, sports, swimming, camping, a gun range, and much more. Additionally, the club hosts Ohio Department of Natural Resources safety courses, as well as Boy Scout and Girl Scout outings. And of all of the reviews that I've read, it appears as though this is a very family-friendly place. Very loving, very inclusive, very inviting for everyone. So what would make someone want to do the unthinkable? What would cause a person to walk into such an environment, shoot, and kill two other people? On Monday, November 4th, authorities were expected to file charges against 65-year-old Richard L. Clark of Tiffin, Ohio, for the shooting deaths of 49-year-old farmer Roger E. Fredericks of Cary, Ohio, and 49-year-old Cynthia L. Hockenberry of Tiffin, Ohio, according to Detective Sergeant Kerwin Wisely. At the time of the Toledo Blade article from November 3rd, 2013, Wisely declined to announce exactly what charges would be filed, nor would he speak to where Clark was being held. The only information that he would confirm was that Clark knew both victims and charges were being brought against him on the following Monday. The events of that night, per responding officers, were as follows. On Friday, November 1st, 2013, at 9.23 p.m., the Sheriff's Office received numerous 911 calls about an active shooter at the Conservation Club. 
Sheriff's deputies and Cary police officers arrived at the scene and were immediately informed that the shooter was still inside the club. They pretty quickly confronted Clark brandishing a handgun, and he was taken into custody without further incident. Waiting emergency medical responders from Cary, Upper Sandusky, and Sycamore called to the club after the suspect was in custody. When police and news outlets spoke to witnesses that evening, a trustee at the club indicated that Clark walked into the club, fired one shot into the air, and shot the victims multiple times, killing them. Both victims were pronounced dead at the scene. Investigators indicated that he had shot them each multiple times with a twenty-two caliber semi-automatic handgun. Richard Clark Jr. was charged with two counts of aggravated murder and pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity. But on January 15, 2014, after undergoing psychological evaluation, a clinical psychologist deemed that there was no evidence that Clark was incompetent to stand trial. In March of 2014, Richard Clark Jr. pleaded guilty. His sentencing hearing was scheduled for May 7, 2014. Prior to handing down the sentence, though, Judge Kathleen Aubrey reviewed the surveillance footage as well as more than 20 photographs taken from the video. The judge told Clark, whose eyes were filling up with tears, that he had many chances not to become a, quote, cold and calculating killer. There were at least 30 other people in the club at the time of the shooting, and Clark shot into the ceiling before turning the gun onto his victims. In this crowded space of innocent bystanders. Based on initial media reports, it seemed as though Clark walked into the club, didn't say a word, and then began firing. However, a bit more happened that night. Photos and surveillance footage show that Clark was talking to Hockenberry and Fredericks before he left the club for a brief period of time, then returned with his handgun. That is when he fired around into the ceiling. The images and video then show Clark pointing the gun at the back of Fredericks' head, shooting him. Then, after he fell to the floor, Clark shot him again. During this commotion, Hockenberry tried to flee from the club, but Clark wasn't having it. Footage shows him grabbing her arm, pulling her back away from the door whilst trying to restrain her against the bar. During the scuffle, she is trying to desperately push the gun away. Then, she fell to the floor, where Clark stood over top of her in a straddling manner, and shot her twice in the head and twice in the chest. You would think that this was more than enough, and Clark is done now, but you'd be wrong. After shooting Hockenberry, he turned to Fredericks again and shot him a third time. Clark then had to reload his handgun and shot Fredericks one more time. Now he's done. Clark then calmly lights up a cigarette and walks out of the club smoking, still holding on to his handgun. When police arrested Clark, they retrieved an additional 16 live rounds from his jacket. So, who knows what else he was willing to do that night? Who else was he willing to kill? Police officers? Other club members? It's hard to say. But the judge stated that his actions were narcissistic, cold and calculating, and not capable of mercy. She described their murders as executions, as that is truly what they were. Two unarmed and non-threatening individuals who were ambushed, cornered, and executed. He gained satisfaction once he was sure that they were dead. 
which explains why he shot them so many times, up close and personal, and the act was complete overkill. Now, although Hockenberry was his estranged girlfriend, or fiancé, according to Clark, he surely didn't love her if he killed her, and in such a heinous way. The prosecution dubbed this as a crime of possession, not a crime of passion. Your Honor, this was not a crime of passion. This was a crime of possession. The relationship between Cindy and the defendant was over. She had moved out and was living with her daughter. There was no reconciliation, and this Hawkenberry was indeed making arrangements. Moments uh, before her death, in the, in the hour before her death, to arrange to retrieve the final amount of her belongings from the Clark residence. Mr. Clark decided, out of twisted love, that if he could not have Cindy, then Roger Fredericks, and certainly no one else, was going to be able to. If Clark couldn't have a relationship with her, then nobody else was going to either. Additionally, the prosecution and the judge stated that he showed no remorse for his actions at the time of his arrest, nor during any hearings preceding the sentencing hearing. Clark's defense attorney stood up and stated that Clark, quote, can't explain the events of what happened on November 1st at the Cary Club. He added, quote, it's a very sad situation, end quote. The one thing that Clark did say throughout the hearing was, quote, I am sorry, end quote to the victim's relatives and friends. Then, he started to cry. Very well, Mr. Clark, what do you wish to say here on behalf? Thank you. I want to say you're right. Thank you. Who I didn't know very well. And to Jessica, who I didn't know very well. And I am sorry. I love you, Mom. More than anything. After the victim's families and friends read their victim impact statements, Richard Clark's former wife, Connie Bartlett, had something to say as well. She addressed the families and apologized on Clark's behalf. She then turned to Clark and said, quote, I know you did want and plan for this to happen, end quote. May 7, 2014, Judge Kathleen Aubrey handed down Richard Clark Jr.'s sentence. But before doing so, she talked about the victims and how Richard Clark Jr. took two kind and caring people out of this world. The kind of people that this world needs. The court thanks all who submitted victim impact statements, as most of them allowed this court to know something about the two, the two victims of the defendant, Roger Fredericks and Cynthia Hockenberry. Both were people, it appears, who would help others, were kind, caring, and enjoyed a good time. Both loved their families. Both were the type of people the world needs. The world does not need selfish, cowardly types who make others pay the price as the defendant did. 
for his disappointments in life. For the aggravated murders of 49-year-old Roger Fredericks and 49-year-old Cynthia Hockenberry, he will be serving consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole, with an additional consecutive three-year prison term for each count because a gun was used in the killing, terms that must be served before the life sentences begin. That was the case of Robert Clark Jr. of Wyandotte County, Ohio. Check out the Patreon page for more on the county as well as bonus content. If you have any additional information or would like to share your thoughts on this case, please reach out to me at ohio88podcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Stacy for joining me on the Wyandotte County Patreon episode. Our music was created by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. If you would like to help support the show, there are a number of ways to do so. You can sign up for Patreon at just a dollar a month, where you will receive extra and ad-free content, as well as merch. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts to ensure that more people can find the show. Lastly, word of mouth is probably the best way. Share the podcast with your family and friends. You can also support the show by checking out our merch store. We have everything from t-shirts to hoodies, notebooks, phone and laptop cases, magnets, mugs, pillows, totes, and more. You can find the link in the show notes as well as on our website at ohio88podcast.com. And until next time, don't cross that county line.